0: Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much. Well, my name is Pastor Dale, and it's my privilege to be uh, one of the teaching team here and also one of your missionaries. And thank you for praying for us in that regard. Becky and I literally, I just flew back in. We got back in, we've been in Africa for almost three weeks had a great time, and thank you for helping send us there to represent you and to train pastors, and it was just a great time. So thank you, not me, thank you for what you're doing. Um, I will tell you that I just got in uh, Friday night about midnight, and that means that right now it's time for me to go to bed. So if I begin to doze off, Bill, you're close enough to the front, just get up and slap me a little bit, okay, or throw something at me and and wake me up. But, but I think we'll do fine. You know, one more thing, too. Just as we think about our missionary family, um, be in prayer for the Doimas, um, Daryl and Sandy Doyma. Uh, Sandy's been struggling with cancer for a while now. She just went to be with the Lord uh, yesterday. I think it was yesterday morning. And uh, so just be in prayer for that family. I mean, they're part of us. They've been missionaries of this church for longer than I've been alive, almost a long time. So be in prayer for them, and if you know them, keep them in your, in your prayers. More details on that, I'm sure, will be coming out later. Well, listen, we're going to tackle a big topic today. We're going to talk about how do you make decisions in life when the Scriptures are silent? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Uh, so I've given you an outline that will help you if you're not used to using these. Um, You may want to pull it out today. It'll help you as we cover a lot of material. You know, when it comes to following Christ, living the faith every day in real life, there are some things that are crystal clear. Jesus was asked one time, what's the greatest commandment? He didn't hesitate. Crystal clear. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's the greatest commandment. No doubt about that. You look at Scripture and 2 Timothy 3.16 says to us, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching and correction and training and, and reproof and helping us know how to live out the Christian life. So the great commandment is clear. It's clear that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and we're to live in obedience to his word. Again, not to earn anything, because as we've been worshiping him, we're sitting uh, under his grace, surrounded by his love, love just where we are. But yet, as followers of Christ, as we learn what it means to depend on him and walk in his strength and, and live out the Christian life, The Word of God gives us clear direction on much of life. A third thing that's crystal clear as I look at Scripture is that Jesus and the Scriptures really value unity in the body of Christ. You know, Jesus said, you know, to love one another the way I've loved you. And as you love one another, by this the world will know that the Father sent me the way you love one another, as you walk in unity, as you are one, like I'm one with my Father. Unity really mattered to Jesus. The Apostle Paul didn't skip a beat on that either. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, in fact, let me just read it to you as a setup for this message. He says, therefore, this is Ephesians 4.1, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you I beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, worthy of the gospel, worthy of the grace of God, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Unity is important to Jesus. It's important to the scriptures. It's important for the church. But life, when it calls us to make a lot of choices where Scripture is silent, or Scripture may have principles that apply, but it doesn't really tell us in black and white whether this is wrong or right, good or bad, righteous or unrighteous. It's what I like to call the gray zone of our life. When it's not black and white, but it's more gray, we still have to make choices. In fact, you can't live life without making those choices, And it's often in that area that we come now to 1 Corinthians 8 where the Corinthian church was struggling with the gray areas. They were dealing with one big issue in particular in which the people of the church had a very strong disagreement and they were judging each other and and getting down on each other and, and and this one Area of disagreement, what we're going to do is we're going to study it so we understand it, but it's going to be something that you're going to say, Well, you know something, I've never really struggled with that. But from that, we're going to identify some core principles from the Word of God, and then I'll give you some additional input toward the end that I've typed out, so if we have to hit it quick, you've already got it in your notes, all right? Because it's important that we understand if we are going to be the body of Christ, if we're going to represent him on planet earth, we have got to understand how to relate to one another in unity when we don't agree on some of these issues in the gray areas of life. Now, the issue that they struggled with, I'll just give you a heads up. They were struggling with this idea that the pagan temples would often involve sacrifices, and the pagan temples would often have a restaurant associated with them or a meat market where you could buy, and usually some of the best steaks in town. Because think about it, you're not going to bring your low-grade animal to be sacrificed to your God, right? So, So a lot of times the deal was this, how do you feel about buying a good steak if you know it was offered to a false god? Now, if I were to ask you right now, there's a meat market. And if I said the meat market is around next to the temple and, 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 and it's only selling meat that was offered to idols, I want to guess that some of you would say, are you in for a bargain? Do you want to, you want to buy that? And some of you would probably say, yeah, I'd be down for that. It's just an idol. Others of you would say, oh, no way. I mean, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't worship false gods and I'm not eating meat that's been offered to them. That just makes sense to me. Well, that was the area of disagreement in that church. But, but we're going to look at it, and, and in case you're already beginning to check out, because some of you, I can read your face, you're like, all right, I should have slept in this morning or hit the surf, right? You know, because I don't really struggle with meat offered to idols. You know, as far as I know, Costco is not selling that right now, or Trader Joe's. Although you never know where Trader Joe's gets its best cut. But anyway... <laughs> But is this relevant to your life and mine? Well, let me give you some issues I think are relevant. Here's what we're going to answer. How do we as Christians deal with the issue of, let's start with alcohol. Acceptable, unacceptable. Maybe just a beer on game day. Maybe a little wine with dinner. Or what if you like whiskey? Where do we land on Margarita Day or Margaritaville in the church? Is Jimmy Buffett right or wrong that it's five o'clock somewhere all the time? Amen? Did I get some amens from that? Yeah. What about how we handle our body, how we eat healthy, unhealthy? How important is that to you? And when you see others who are eating stuff that you would never eat because the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We need to take good care of it. And, you know, I mean, what if I confess to you this morning that when I was a teenager, my favorite sandwich was, anybody know? Peanut butter. Who said that? Who, Who said that? Yeah, peanut butter with hot bacon. Yeah, hot bacon. Now, don't knock it until you try it. Okay, you say, well, Dale, that's wrong. I mean, that's just sinful for you to eat like that. Well, my wife doesn't make it for me anymore, but okay. But is that a right or a wrong? What about money? To buy or not to buy? That is the question. When do we have enough? When do we cross that line of loving things more than Jesus or loving things too much and And besides, what car do you drive? Now, again, can I just use myself as an example here? I always felt a little weird as a pastor. I I wanted to make sure my car was appropriately clean and looked nice. But, you know, what if it looks too nice? Then people say, well, you got to give him a pay cut, right? You know, you see my wife driving around lately? Yeah. True confessions. We're driving a Land Rover. Can I hear a? Ooh, yeah. Now, what you probably don't know is we paid 5,000 bucks for it from a friend, and it's a little older, but it looks new. So to be honest, as a pastor, as one of your missionaries, I feel just a little weird. I want Becky to drive it, but I told her, leave your sunglasses on. <laughs> I don't want people to think that they're missionaries uh, you know, where, uh, where, you know, driving a Land Rover, which does things I'll never ask it to do. You know, raises up, goes down, all this weird stuff. You know, I don't go off-road at my age. <laughs> but it was a good deal, and I'm a bargain guy. But seriously, you look at one another, and you think, you know something, this person just seems to be in love with their house or their car or, or the latest technology. Or, and aren't we supposed to be good stewards? Aren't we supposed to not love money? Sometimes, we're, where's the line between materialism and just blessing? And how do we handle that? And do we judge each other? No. How about politics? We never have any disagreement in that area. Who do you vote for and why? Who will you vote for and why in the next presidential election? You want to talk about that? How about government policies? Are we in or out of this country or that? War, no war. Worth fighting over, not worth fighting over. See, these are all things that when I look at the word of God, I maybe can find principles, but God doesn't take a position on that. Oh, well. So today's going to be pretty relevant. Parenting, how do you discipline your kids? How do you have your parents discipline theirs? And were they right or wrong? Dare I say, to spank or not to spank? How about educating your kids? I mean, is it homeschool, Christian school, public school, you know, or just out of school? And who's right, who's wrong? And what do you think about people that choose to do it different than you? How about the environment? How about policies? What's right or wrong? How green is green enough? That's what I want to know. What do you think? You like the paper straws? I mean, have you seen the turtle with the one up his nose, right? You know, I don't know if that's ever happened more than once, but they sure caught it on film, right? So, you know, the reality is, and I love turtles. Excuse me. In fact, Scripture says we should care for the environment. I believe Christians should be good stewards of the environment. But, you know, to be honest, I hate paper straws. Entertainment: Which movies do you watch? Which movies do your kids watch? What music do you listen to? Oh, how about dancing? You know, It's the first step toward premarital sex and everything else, right? And then I go to Africa. Because I grew up a Baptist where it was a non-dancing rule, see, you know. But, but the reality is, yeah, you know, I, I got over that. And, but, you know, I just got back from Africa where there are no seats for the first 10, 15 feet in front of the pulpit. You know why? It's, you know, it's because that's where the dance floor is. Yeah, they break out in dancing every week in worship to the glory of God. And they get down. Seriously. I tried to join in. Once. Once. Yeah. Masungus, like me, just can't quite do it. Or last but not least, how about sports? Should you go to worship and teach the word of God wearing your favorite university logo? (laughs) Uh, I forgot about that. Or is my eleven foot W V U flag that I put up on game day, is it too big for a Christian? Yeah. So these are all things in which, to be honest, we kind of chuckle, but we tend to judge one another, and it brings disharmony in the body of Christ. So we're going to look at their example, and then we're going to apply it to ours. Ready? Here we go. We're going to cover this thing. Here we go. Let's pick it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, what was the key issue? Things offered to idols. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols— We know that we all have knowledge. In other words, he's saying, Paul says, I know that we understand. We have the knowledge about this. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Underline that. He says, sometimes if you're not careful, you can know the right answer, but the right answer can make you proud. And if that's the case, now you're in trouble for a different reason. (laughs) Knowledge even. If you're not careful, it can make you arrogant. Whereas love edifies, builds up the other person. We'll come back to that. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Verse 2, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. That's the real knowledge that you want, to know the living God and be known by him to be his child, as we just sang in worship. The real issue was things offered to idols. I've already explained to you the deal that people were either going to the temple for these meals or buying the meat of the sacrifices. And some Christians felt like that is immoral. And others said, it's not a bad deal. I'm saving money, which I can then give in church. It's a good deal. And there was serious division apart. And he leads not only with defining that as the issue, but he gives a reminder and a warning. And the reminder and warning is this, knowledge apart from love is dangerous. So he warns them, you may know the right answer to this, as I think the Apostle Paul felt like he understood that. But he said, what I really want you to understand is if you don't have both knowledge and love, you're going to make a mistake. You need both. So knowledge apart from love can be dangerous, and he reminds them of that. And in fact, points out that if knowledge and knowing more than someone else knows makes you proud of your extra knowledge and your freedom that comes from it, but you don't have love, you're in trouble. And then he walks through in verses 4 to 13, a section I want to cover rather quickly, He walks through what I call, so what are the facts of the matter as we make decisions about eating meat that's been offered to idols, or these principles I think will apply elsewhere. Here we go. What are the facts? Pick it up in verse 4, verse 4 through 6. Therefore, concerning eating things offered to idols, we know, here's our knowledge, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in this world, and that there is no God, capital G, but one. Only one true God. For even if there are so-called gods, little g, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, he's not saying that other gods actually exist. He's acknowledging the fact that there's a lot of religion out there with a lot of different gods, a lot of different idols. And he says, indeed, there are many gods and many lords, yet... For us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things. We exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So he says, fact number one, when that meat is offered in a temple to an idol or a false god, the idol and false god is not around. They aren't even real. So it doesn't affect the meat, and it won't affect you to eat it. Therefore, point two, verse seven, he points out, therefore, that eating that meat, whether you eat it or don't eat it, it's not going to make you a better follower of Jesus. Point two, but some in the church, for some, it would violate their conscience to eat that. Look at verse seven. However, not all men have this knowledge or this understanding, but some being accustomed to the idol until now, maybe they used to worship that idol in that temple, they eat the food as if it were sacrificed to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food will not commend us to God, and we are neither the worse if we do not eat or the better if we do eat. In other words, whether you eat it or not doesn't make you more spiritual. But yet, if you in your conscience feel it would be wrong and you eat it, that's not a good thing. So there are some that this would be a violation of their conscience to do this thing that they were free to do. So remember that principle. Principle number three picks up in verse nine, but take care. Here's his third tip, but take care that this liberty of yours, in other words, he's already said, you know, we're really free to eat it. If if it doesn't violate your conscience, you have freedom. He says, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak, the person with the... Weaker conscience. For if someone sees you, they see you eating it, and you who have knowledge, that is, that it's okay, and they see you dining in the idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he's weak, be strengthened maybe to eat the things offered to idols? In other words, if he sees you doing it, and you know he doesn't believe you should do it, but when he sees you doing it, he might do it and violate his own conscience. And verse eleven, for for through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose Christ, for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against that brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Don't do that. So what he's saying is you've got to be very careful when and where you exercise your freedom. Because if someone is there, and and let me point this out. When he talks about causing a brother to stumble or a sister to stumble, he's not meaning causing them to merely disagree with you and be upset that you're doing it. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is they stumble when they, they see you doing it, and they have a conviction against it. But then they think, you know, I think I'll do it too. And against their own conscience and conviction, they, they do it, which we're going to learn in Romans chapter 14, that to the person that believes in your heart or your conscience that it's sin to do that, then it becomes sin to do that. Because God doesn't want us violating our own conscience. So you got to be careful where you exercise your freedom. And number four is verse 13, and this is the highlight of the chapter. He says, therefore, here's the big conclusion. If food causes my brother to stumble, that is to, to disobey his own conscience and do what he thinks he shouldn't do, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now, he's not literally saying, I'll never eat meat again, so therefore, Paul, the rest of his life was a vegetarian. We know that's not true. He's talking about in this situation, where if I know that there's another brother or sister and they have a conviction against it, and they're watching me, I'm not going to order the meat. I'm not going to eat it in their presence because I don't want to tempt them to do something against their own conscience. So the point is this, let love limit your freedom. Let love limit your freedom because you love one another more than you love the right to have the steak. You're willing to give up your rights, to give up your freedom, if it's going to hurt and wound another person and lead them into sin in their own conscience. I'm not going to do that because I love people more than food. That's the big idea. So the issues for us today, what we're really talking about is I think this passage is helpful for us to think about decisions in all the gray areas of life. Those areas where, when you look at it, Scripture maybe gives us principles to apply, but it doesn't give us, yes, you must be on this side or that side. It's not black or white, it's gray, and there is a whole lot of life that is gray. So as you exercise your freedom, here's my list of principles And some of these are right here in 1 Corinthians 8. Some of them I'm going to a parallel passage. If you get time this week, go to Romans chapter 14. If you read Romans 14, the exact same issue is being addressed. A lot of the language is the same, but he goes a little deeper on it. So I'm going to at least give you the references so you can look them up this week. Is that a deal? Here we go. Number one, the law of the Lord, obey it. The law of the Lord, obey it. Where Scripture is clear, make sure we live in obedience to the Word of God. And by the way, on every little gray area I mentioned, there are some clear statements in Scripture. Can I play a little game with you? Here was my introduction when I listed off those issues. What about alcohol? In drinking alcohol, the main passage is Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for then you're out of control, but instead be under the control of God's Spirit. So don't allow yourself to be drunk and under the control and the influence of of other substances. It's not smart. In fact, um, hey, Beck, bring me my phone if you don't mind. Thank you. In fact, uh, I was talking through this with uh, Becky this morning even. Um, I was jet lagged, so I was up extra early. And I told Beck, and Beck actually gave me a cross reference on this. That's an incredible passage. Here it is. I had it on my phone. Write this down. Write down Proverbs chapter 23, beginning in verse 29. But let me just read some highlights about the danger of alcohol. Here we go. Proverbs 23 29 says, Who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who's always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises and bloodshot eyes? Now, I'm reading from the New Living Version, but it's a pretty accurate paraphrase. I like the way it reads. It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. It doesn't mean you can never try a new margarita, but be careful how long you spend there, okay? Okay. He says this, for it is it bites like a poisonous snake and it stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea clinging to the mast. And you will say, they hit me but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? I could read that with a southern accent just for for another drink here in Tennessee, the land of good whiskey, right? Like ben- okay. I'm not, that's not an allegation against Miss Bennett, but she is from Tennessee, where the real whiskey comes from. Here we go. Well, I shouldn't know that, but I do. <laughs> the law of the Lord. So it says getting drunk is sin. It's serious. Don't, let, don't, fault, don't ever drink enough to be under its influence like that. Now, that's the biblical rule. It's like a fence. Don't jump that fence or you're gonna, you're gonna, it's going to hurt. Now, what I want to teach you on this principle, and then you can apply it on every other one, is the tendency of Christians is to think, well, if that fence is dangerous, which it is, I'm going to build another fence a little further out and make that my law, such as don't drink any alcohol. Because if that way, I'll have a better fence to keep me from even getting close to the get drunk front fence, okay? And, and, but here's the danger in this. And my, the, the illustration's from my friend Larry Osborne up here in Vista. And, and I think Larry's correct on this. He says the danger with living that way is that, and teaching our kids that way, for example, is they jump the outer fence. And they don't experience any serious pain. So that makes them think, well, these fences I've been taught about at church must not be dangerous at all. So then they jump the inner fence and they can wreck their life or someone else's. So anytime we add to the word of God and we think, well, God's word isn't, isn't tough enough to follow. I'm going to make it tougher. I'm going to add more fences. Okay? I mean, uh, and, and this can be applied to almost any area. Beware of adding to the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that for some of you um, it would be wise to have a fence that says, I'm not going to drink at all. Some of you have a history of alcoholism in your family, or some of you have seen the consequences of that, or some of you in your own background have this problem. Or So it's okay if that's your conviction, but I just say don't judge other Christians who don't have that outer fence. But let's hold one another to be true to the true fence defined in God's Word. What about money? Where do I go for my fence on money? I like 1 Timothy chapter 6. Write this down, verses 17 and 18, which basically says, don't put your trust on the uncertainty of riches, but put your trust in God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Wow. So, the Word of God actually says our our riches come from God, and we should appreciate and worship him because of it, if we're blessed to have some. And he says, but don't don't put your trust in your riches. Don't be conceited. He says, but put your trust in the God who supplied them. And then he says, and if you have a little extra riches, you should be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. So the biblical standard is whether we are poor or rich, Whatever we have is from God, and we need to be generous and ready to share and eager to give and have a generous spirit that stays humble and never proud of our success or our money. Now, that's the biblical fence. Be grateful to God for what you have, understand that it's really his, and be generous to use it for his kingdom. But it's actually okay to enjoy it a little bit. You don't have to feel guilty. So, honey, you can drive your Land Rover. Yeah. I could go on down. Food and health. Take care of your body. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should care for it. That's something, obviously, on bacon and peanut butter, that was a struggle for me. Although when I was eating my bacon and peanut butter, I was also playing football and basketball, and I was skinny as a rail. So something went wrong along the way. I think it's when my wife started having babies, I gained weight. Every baby she had, I gained weight. It's our kids' fault. Amen? Yeah. But, you know, we've been working at trying to be a little healthier. Becky and I have this year, and we can't be proud of that because, man, I've been up and down that cycle enough times. But pray that I don't go back up, feeling a lot better. So take care of your body, but exactly what you eat, what you drink, there's a lot of flexibility. Politics. Scripture says, obey the government and pray for your leaders. I take that to be a good citizen and be involved in the process and be prayerful and respectful of our government. I don't care who's in office. When you cross the line, you're not prayerful and respectful, then you're in sin. You can vote for whoever you want to vote for. But what I'm saying is, we need to not judge one another because Christians are doing this over politics, okay? Respect each other, enjoy the dialogue, challenge each other's thinking, but at the end of the day, you got to follow the rest of these laws. A lot of freedom. Parenting. Well, parenting, it's pretty simple. Scripture says if you love your kids, you discipline them. And that discipline in one form or another needs to kind of feel painful to the kid or else it's not going to be effective. Now, how you discipline, where you discipline, there's a lot of flexibility. It's different in every culture in every area and age group. But the point is, make sure you do it. You're not, parents aren't called to just let kids raise themselves. Or worse yet, let their peers raise them. You're the parent. Be the parent. Raise your kids in the Lord. Teach the word of God to them. Raise them by modeling your relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's a lot of freedom in how we educate our kids, how we parent our kids. So quit fussing over it. That's what I see. So you could go all the way down. The environment. Genesis 2.15 says God gives mankind uh, the command to, to cultivate, make it productive, but also care for the environment. So you need to make the environment more productive to help care for people, and you need to make it well cared for. Now, there's a lot of latitude on how you interpret that. and Whether that means you go to paper straws or not, I don't know. That's your choice. In my home, I got metal straws. Yeah, I bought some metal straws. They're better than both. Just got to wash them out once a month. But anyway. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wash them more often than that. <clears throat> entertainment. Scripture has something to say about entertainment. First John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17. It says, "Love God. Love God. Don't love the world." Beware of three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of your eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Those things are not from the Father, they're from the world, and they get you in trouble. Now, with that principle in mind, you decide what entertainment boundaries you're going to put up. But you got some latitude. The point is, I am free, and in my freedom make sure that I'm always, don't ignore the fact God's word does have a lot to say about these areas. And where God is clear, obey it. Number two, number two, the law of authority, respect it. This didn't get talked about much, but scripture actually says, children, obey your parents, for this is right, it's healthy. And people, obey your government. Unless it's asking you to do something immoral, you should obey your government be a good citizen. That's healthy. That's right. Respecting authority. Obey your boss. If you have a job, be respectful and obedient to your boss. So in that area, your parents maybe have an opinion and as long as you're living in their house and you're growing up in their home, you need to follow it. So the law of authority, respect it. Number three, the law of liberty, give it. You are free in Christ to make your own choices in every one of these areas that I've laid out and more. When Scripture is silent, we should be silent. We can look at biblical principles and apply them to help us make wise decisions, but it's not a moral right and wrong. There's a lot of freedom and latitude. So understand the law of liberty and give it to one another. I gave you the reference. You can read it later, Romans chapter 14, verse 14. Number five, the law of convictions or conscience. And this was mentioned already in the passage, but let me read it to you from the Romans account. In Romans 14, verse five, he says this. He says, one person regards one day like another, regards every day alike. The other regards every day alike. That that was another issue of what do you do like on the Sabbath each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, be convinced in your own mind what your choice is going to be and be true to it. So respect one another's law of what I call the law of conscience or conviction. And actually, we should be encouraging one another to say, you know some we may disagree on this, but whatever you honestly feel is your conviction on this issue, stay true to it. You don't have to agree with me. We can love one another. Which is the next one, the law of love. And this is the big one. The law of love, choose it always. And he actually, I'd give you three little sub points under this one. The law of love says, first of all, within the body of Christ, love one another. Value people over your own preference. Choose to love. In fact, I I usually don't like to at all mention songs. But the song about freedom, I would suggest one tweak, if you're allowed to make it, and that is that we are not free for the sake of freedom. We are free for the sake of love. I would change the lyric if it was my song. We are free to choose to be a slave to other people if that helps them. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, yeah, I'm free, but I'm free to give up my freedom when it helps someone else Grow in Christ or come to know Christ. So make love the highest priority. Respect one another. And thirdly, love those who need Jesus. And sometimes that will change how I live because I want to be more effective at reaching my non-Christian neighbors. The passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, says this. Paul says, I am free so that I can give up my freedom to save others. He says, I actually become a slave to all men, but I'm free to choose that. That's a great statement. He also says right after that, I become all things to all men in order that I might save some of them. And he's talking not about changing the gospel, not about changing his convictions on truth and the word of God. He's true to the gospel, never changed it, but how he approaches people, how he shares the gospel, how he builds friendships and relationships. He says, when I'm, when I'm with Jews, I kinda act a little more Jewish. When I'm with the Greeks or the Gentiles, I can, I can give up stuff, I can be a little more Gentile or, 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 or Greek because I love people more than I love my own personal lifestyle. When Becky and I go to Africa, we have to face this. I'll give you a quick illustration. When we're in Africa, because many African pastors do feel that all alcohol is sin, we don't have wine with dinner when we're dining with African pastors. Now, if you know the Burke household, if we have a special dinner, we'll probably offer you wine if you're at our home or if we're out for dinner. So don't be surprised by that. I like a good Big, bold, Zenfidel, in case you're looking to buy <laughs> gifts. But anyway, I, I'm just kidding. Well, not totally, maybe. But here's the deal. See, it's, it's not... Mm. So when we go to Africa, out of respect for my brothers in Africa, you know, we'll not, have, we'll not exercise our freedom. Right before we move down here to Seacoast... Um, Becky and I were building a close friendship with a neighbor, a young couple that moved into our neighborhood, and they didn't go to church. And, and one day he asked me over, and he says, hey, come on over, Dale. He says, I'll, I'll make you my favorite drink. And I said, sure, I'll do that. And uh, you know, back then, I'd have a little wine, but that was about it. So he, he comes out with this bottle. He says, now, Dale, this, this is incredible. You're going to love this. And I said, what is it? He says, well, it was Fidel Castro's favorite drink. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not a big Castro fan, but, you know, it's a Cuba Libre. And I said, so what is that? He says, well, it's just some Coke with some spiced rum and a little bit of lime. He said, now, it's pretty strong, so don't go for a drive right after this. I said, well, okay. So, so, we're sitting on his patio, and he makes me this special drink of his, and it was pretty tasty. So, you know, I don't drink it all the time, but, but you know, but we began a friendship. Yeah. So, all of a sudden, we went through a hard time. I won't go to the detail. Sell of our house fell apart. You know, it was, it was a bad, bad week, one of the worst weeks we've had. I come home from church, and on my front step is a half gallon of Sailor Jerry's rum (laughs) from my neighbor with a note that says, I know you have to be hurting. Hopefully, this is enough to get you through it. (laughs) And I thought, whoa, I've never bought a half gallon of anything, you know? So what do I do? Do I take that back to him and say, you know something, I'm not really into spiced rum. No, no, no. Went down there and thanked him and made us a round of Cuba Libres. What's the difference? See, the point is, I'm free. But I'm free to choose what would be most loving and whatever most advances the kingdom of God. I can give up my freedom in some cases, or I can exercise my freedom in other cases, but my goal is to love. To love the pastors of Africa by not drinking or to love my next-door neighbor, who, by the way, today is walking <laughs> with Christ. And his kids are involved in a Christian school and, and, uh, and doing really well, and they're involved in a good church. And, and it all started over Fidel Castro's favorite drink. (laughs) And the fact that we were becoming friends. So, love those who need Jesus. Make that your choice. And there is one final principle of Scripture. When you can't decide at all, remember the highest goal. 1 Corinthians 10.31 is the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, it says do all For the glory of God. So you can always ask the question, will this glorify God? Is God, would God, is this going to help God look good? If it's going to hurt the reputation of God, don't do it. And that will answer a lot of your questions in gray areas. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Luke chapter 18, I'll I'll just read this as the close, gives us an incredibly good caution. Here it is. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is um, dealing with the Pharisees and a tax collector, and he's watching people pray. And this is what he says. It says, and Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was the tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and was praying this to himself. Notice he's talking to himself, not God. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes up to heaven, but was beating his breast. A sign of repentance. And he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. then Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Beware when we think that our religion makes us better. Stay humble. Make love your greatest goal. Don't judge each other. Respect one another. Give each other the freedom to disagree. Those who are more restrictive, honor that. Those who have a little more freedom, allow that. But in all things, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You're free. you you got a lot of freedom. But most of all, you're free to choose love. Father God, thank you for the wisdom that your Word gives us to tackle just a lot of the thorny side of life Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your love for us. And may we live, Father, in your freedom, but especially with the freedom to choose love. In Christ's name, amen.